I have decided that for the next um, probably four weeks, I'm gonna, we're going to do a short mini-series through the book of Colossians. I love the book of Colossians. And I thought, uh, we'll, just, we'll just go through this book together uh, as, a, as a family and see what God wants to say to us through it. So this will be uh, uh, this morning, part one of uh, hopefully a, a four-part series, and then we've got some other things planned after that. Um, so if you want to turn to your, if open your Bible up to the book of Colossians, and I would encourage you uh, in the coming weeks to actually read the book of Colossians. It's a short book, only four chapters. You could probably read it in one sitting, and I would encourage you to read it multiple times as we're going through it, or at least you know, maybe read it once before each Sunday. That would be awesome. Uh, the next two Sundays, if you only have time to read two chapters, just read chapter one and chapter two um, for this coming week and, and the next Sunday, and then you can do three and four for the next two weeks. But it's a great book. Uh, so let me let me just talk about it a little bit and set the scene uh, a little. So the setting here is. Um, this is one of the one of several letters that Paul wrote from prison. Uh, it's debated as to where exactly he was in prison in Rome or in prison in Ephesus. Some uh, say it's likely Ephesus, but regardless, he was writing from prison. And it, what's interesting about this is this is one of the churches that he had not visited. He had not been there. Uh, he had not met them personally. Uh, and often when he writes to a church, uh, especially if it's one he, to, to which he had not been, he, um, he's dealing, he might be encouraging them, he might be dealing with uh, a problem that's going on there. Uh, and the tone might be a little bit different compared to one that he had been to. You can see uh, the Corinthians church, for, for example, when he wrote to the Corinthians, uh, his tone was very different than what you'll see here in, in some of his others because he knew them. He had that relationship. He had that uh, trust had been built there. So, uh, but this is to a church he had not gone to yet, but he was, he had just received a report of this church, of the believers in Colossae, from uh, a fellow servant of the Lord named Epaphras. And Epaphras had taken the good news of the gospel to the believers there in Colossae, and they had uh, received that message and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and a church was started there. And this letter was written not only to, to them, but also the, the believers in Laodicea and, and that area. I, didn't, I don't have a picture of a map, but um, they're all in close quarters. You got Colossae, you got Laodicea, um, Ephesus. Uh, it's all in that same region. Now, Colossae was a uh, metropolitan city of sorts. <clears throat> It was right on the uh, a main road that went from um, the east to the west, and so they had a lot of traffic, a lot of different uh, nationalities, a lot of different uh, people of different religions coming through that area. So it was a very uh, metropolitan-like city. So again, Paul had not been there yet, and we see that we, we will see that later in, in Colossians. He mentions that. But Paul was writing to encourage them. He had heard this report from Epaphras, and he was writing to encourage them. But he was also writing to warn them, as we see him do in in most of his letters. There are warnings there. 
and he was also instructing them. <coughs> so he does that often, and this is no exception. He's hearing the good report, but also hearing the report of some issues that might be creeping into the church. And so he is writing to uh, address those. So let's, let's go ahead and dig in and just, we're going to read today, we're going to go from, uh, I didn't write it down here, let's see, ch- verse, chapter 1, verse 1 through about verse 23. But let's take a look first at um, verses 1 and 2. Get my little remote out here and we can get some scriptures in front of you. So let's read this together here. It says, now this is the uh, the salutation, the greeting, uh, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, you'll notice in all the letters, most often they, they start off with who's writing it. You know, I really wish we did that in our letters. I think it's so silly. I used to hate it in emails. You get an email, and it's this long email, and you're not even sure who... Necessarily, it's, it's from, or um, so you have to go down to the bottom. And I like how they did it here. They always tell you up front who's writing it. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, I think it's interesting if we focus on that part there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul is, is quick to say that the reason he is an apostle is not because he has elevated himself to apostleship. He has not self-declared himself an apostle. It was actually God who chose him and appointed him to the role of an apostle to go and reach the Gentiles. And he's mentioning that here. I think it's a good idea. He's not met these people. And so he's wanting to make sure they understand, hey, I'm not telling you I'm an apostle because I just want to be an apostle. I'm an apostle because God, God willed it. It was God's will for me to be. He was not one of the uh, original uh, 12, those who had been with Jesus. He did meet Jesus, if you remember, and, but he met him in a much different way. He met the resurrected Jesus, but Jesus very much showed himself to him and appointed him to be an apostle. So, I think, actually, even before we go any further, we can, we can learn something from this. You know, God often will call and appoint someone. And what, we, what bugs me more than anything, this is probably bug, you've seen it happen before, is when someone kind of wants to uh, self-appoint themselves to a certain role. And they will even do what they have to to manipulate the situation to get themselves into that, uh, into that role. And I'm talking about in, in ministry. Um, and, but, but in anything, it can be very frustrating when someone does that. Paul shows us that, you know, we don't have to do that. If God is calling us and appointing us, that is the, he will also give us the authority for that role. And he will also confirm that role through others. So it's good for us to take note of this, to remember that when God calls and appoints someone to a role or a task, that person will be recognized, and that person will have God's authority to carry it out. And that's what we want. You really don't want to wiggle your way into a role and manipulate that and then find yourself in a role that God did not call you to be in. And we have to be careful not to do that, because basically that's going to, you're not going to have God's blessing 
And you're going to have come out from what's under God's covering for you. And that's a dangerous place to be. And at the same time, because sometimes, you know, it's like it's, there's this balance of, okay, if God's put a burden on someone's heart for something, but they don't want to be the one to kind of to, to, to say, hey, I, I want to do this, I want to do this, and, and they want to wait. But sometimes leaders who want to ask someone if they would uh, be interested in this role or something, they don't want to put pressure on someone if there's no heart to do that. And so there's this kind of this balance that we deal with all the time with do, do we wait for this person to kind of say something and, and speak up and, and show interest, or do we approach this person and ask if they're interested? So there's a, there's a balance there. And so one reason I'm saying this is if, if you ever have, if God has burdened you for something, some type of ministry, some type of role, some type of task, He's given you that burden. You know he's given you that burden. It's okay to make that known. And you make it known to the appropriate people. And then you wait and see how God will confirm that. Because if he is calling you to that role, and that's what he wills for you, he's going to confirm it through other people as well. And sometimes it's, it's important to make that known um, so that people know that, that you do have a heart for that. So I just wanted to mention that. that I, thought, I think that's useful. He also says here, and Timothy, our brother. I love this because he refers to Timothy as brother. And we, three, we see this throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament. The, the, the brothers and sisters refer to themselves as brothers and sisters. And it's a, a title of a, a family, which is much closer than friend. And I really like that the, the New Testament church uses that, and we continue to use that now. I love to use that with my, with my brothers in the Lord. Now, unfortunately, some people have families where this is, this, it doesn't bring a good vibe to you. I would rather have my friend than my, my brother or my sister. But that's not the way God meant it to be. He wanted brothers and sisters to be um, very close, closer than a friend, and to have a trust and a bond and a um, a love and support for one another that far surpasses what you would have in just friendships. So I love this because it reminds us of this is how we're to be with one another, like brothers and sisters. And I can tell you from my own family, my own family experiences, is there's something so strong about the bond of brother and sister and siblings. I love to watch it in my children. And it doesn't matter how long they've been apart. It doesn't matter what the situation, they can always count on each other and trust each other and know they've got each other's back and know that they have each other's best interest. And that's how it's to be among us, the body of Christ. So I love that. He, remind, he says, our brother, Timothy, our brother, as in not just my brother, your brother as well, because he's talking uh, to the saints. And so now he goes from who's writing to who he's addressing it to. He says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, um, the, 
original Greek word used for brothers is can, can be plural. It can, can mean brothers and sisters as well. You can easily just as easily translate it brothers and sisters. Um, some translations do use brothers and sisters. Uh, it is a plural. Don't get hung up on that. Just know there's male and female in the, in the body of Christ, okay? Um, so brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's writing to the saints. So it's always good to remember you've heard me, you've heard Phil say this many times, always remember this when you're reading through the New Testament, especially the letters that have been written. These are, they, they have been written to believers, to believers, to the church, not to unbelievers. It's been written, these have been written to <coughs> believers, to churches that have um, come up in these different different areas, so it's important. It's, the reason it's important because oftentimes we, we we have a tendency to just kind of dismiss things like warnings. We hear them. Oh, it's a warning. It's a stern warning from God. It's talking about the potential of of uh, drifting or shipwrecking our faith or being disciplined. Oh, that's obviously for. Uh, the non-believer, that's for someone else. It's not, and that's not. These letters are written to believers. So it's important that we keep that always in our minds as we're, as we're reading through these. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's a very common way to greet uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in these letters. You'll see it often referring to grace, God's grace be upon you. God's grace to you. And not only God's grace, but peace from God our Father. Grace is an interesting thing. I, I, I didn't have this in my notes, but um, it seems that there's, in a way, grace has uh, morphed into something that it was not meant to be. What I mean by that, it's almost as if grace has become a force of its own. And that's not what grace is. You cannot have grace apart from one who is gracious. The grace of which the Bible speaks is referring to a character of God extended to those who don't deserve it. It's, it's God's grace towards us. When I was in England, I was uh, teaching at a church one morning, and I, and I preached on the Holy Spirit. And I mean, I was putting my heart and soul in this about, uh, you know, what Christ had done for us on the cross. But not only that, but he has made it a way for us to have access to the gift of the Holy Spirit and how much we needed the Holy Spirit to be able to walk as Christ walked without the power of the Spirit through us. It would be impossible to do that. And uh, great gave this thing. I thought a good message anyway. Um, and at the end of it, this guy comes up to me and he says, you know, that's a good, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. That was a good message, but why do I need the Holy Spirit when I have grace? And he actually, I was dumbfounded when he asked. I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to make sure I understood his thick accent and his question, but I did understand it correctly. And it made me really think after that, you know, that's, that has happened to a lot of people. They have had heard so much preaching about grace, 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 that grace has kind of become this, this thing of its own. 
this force, this being of its own that as long as I have grace, I don't need anything else. I've got grace. And that's, a, that's just a, a kind of a distortion of what grace is. Grace is a description of who God is and, and what he has extended to us. Here's what grace is. Grace is God's only begotten son that he gave as a sacrifice so that instead of us receiving the death penalty that we deserved because of our sins, he gave his perfect son to receive that punishment onto him in our place. That's grace. But not only that, God then said, I'm not going to expect you to walk in righteousness of which I require. I'm a holy God, and without holiness, you will not see me. I'm not going to expect that from you without also giving you the ability and the power to carry it out. And that is what the promised gift is about, the Holy Spirit, is so that we now have access to the power that we must have to actually walk in righteousness. The two things are a perfect, that they encapsulate what is called grace, God's grace to us. We couldn't do anything in and of ourselves, nor did we deserve anything from God. But because of his kindness, his mercy, his grace, he gives us these things that we need and that he knew without them, we had no chance at all. Now that's grace. So you cannot separate grace from the God who has extended grace. He is a gracious God. He is a God of mercy. <coughs> the love that God shows to us that we often refer to as Agape love or unconditional love, it is unconditional in the sense that we've done nothing to deserve it. But what it means is it means he's doing something about our problem. Don't confuse it with a kind of an, a, an affectionate, let me come here and let me cuddle you for a little while. No, this is a God who has seen our problem and that we have no ability to do anything about it. And apart from him doing something, we are doomed. And so in his agape love towards a being that has no ability to help themselves, he has loved them by giving them help, by giving them what they need. That is grace. That is agape love. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Peace is something that, oh, we so need today. And, and throughout Scripture, we see references to peace, and that God's people are to be people who have peace. Now, there's going to be trying times in your life, but what separates us from everyone else in this world is that we have access and we have a Savior and we have uh, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us in dealing with those difficulties and to be able to have peace regardless. And that's a wonderful thing. And I think that needs to be 
more and more, uh, we need to remember that that's the kind of people we're, we're to be about, is to have the peace that comes from God. So those are two very important factors woven throughout the New Testament, grace and peace. Well, let's move on, looking at uh, verses 3 through 6. It's on the screen there. I'll just read it. We always thank God. Again, this is Paul writing. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. That's beautiful. Um, this is the, the ESV. The wording's a little bit awkward. Like, I don't talk like that. So, um, but some of the other translations kind of make it a little uh, smoother to read. Um, but let's look at it a little more closely. So one thing we notice is that Paul and uh, you know, Timothy and some of the believers that are with him, they say that they're praying, that we pray for you. And it's just such a great reminder that we should be praying for other believers. We should be praying for each other. Not just the ones in this fellowship, but the ones that we know of and have heard about outside of these walls. And we really need to get better at that. We need, we need to stop the, the the competition stuff, please, I'm so sick and tired of that. Can we just move beyond that, church people? I'm not talking about just this church. Church pe- church, church people, can we get beyond this? Please, there's too much work to do. There's, the harvest is too great for us to spend, or excuse me, waste any more time bickering and arguing about petty little things like whether or not you should meet in a church building or a home. Come on, people, please. Let's get past that, and let's just talk about how can we help the lost and dying in the world, and how can we help each other and encourage one another to continue enduring and to be patient and to continue walking on this path. We need that. We don't need to bicker about the silly little things that do not matter in the scheme of eternity. We are to be about being the body, encouraging one another. Paul's given us a great example that he's praying for them. He's heard about this young church in Colossae and the, the Colossians there and the, the believers there, and he's, he's, he's being encouraged and he's wanting to encourage them. So he says that he, he prays for them, and they do. I have no doubt he's praying for them. So we should be praying for other believers. We should be thanking God for them. We see that here. He says, uh, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. I think that will really help with our attitude when, if, we have a, if, if we do have an attitude towards another church, towards another believer, brother or sister in the Lord, who, who may be a little different than us, who, who may worship a little differently, who may see things a little differently. But listen, 
they're our brother and sister in the Lord. We're not all going to be in, in, Phil says it all the time. He says, we're not to be, uh, we're not to be uniform in, in, in exactly the same. We are to be, there's going to be variation. There's going to be differences. We don't have to be cookie cutter Christians. So be okay with someone seeing things a little bit differently. Now, of course, we've got our core things that we, we can't compromise on, but most of the time it's on these silly little things. So can we just pray for our brothers and sisters? There's, there's people that I'm not going to be able to reach, this church is not going to be able to reach, and we need other believers, other churches, to be able to reach them. Maybe they will step into those churches. Maybe they will find that group of believers rather than us. And if that's the case, great. It's funny, I get emails a lot from people who are um, checking into the where they want to go to church or maybe new to the area or looking for a new church. And so we'll, we'll get an email and, and they'll ask some questions. And sometimes they're good questions. Sometimes it's like, and they're like, oh, come on, really? I don't have time to answer this. Because it just, and so sometimes when I get those questions, I'm like, you know, this isn't the church for you. Let me see if I can find a good church for you. That you, you and, and, and that's what I do. And, and actually, they usually are a little bit, like, surprised by it. Because, no, I'm not going to argue with you about this particular topic that you're hung up on. I'm going to help you find a church where you can then sit and you can receive. If you can't receive here, you don't need to be here. You need to go somewhere where you can receive the manna from God. I trust brothers and sisters out there in other churches and other circles to be able to deliver the truth, even though there may be some variations there. That's okay. They can deliver the truth, and that brother or sister in the Lord can receive it there. They don't have to be here. They don't need to be here. So we need to be, that's the kind of attitude we need to have is, look, worship here, worship there. I don't care you worship. Just go and worship. Get in the presence of God and other believers. That's so important. So we should be thanking God for them. And I do think that will keep our attitude in the right place as we thank God for other believers. And then he mentions three things here that we actually need to be seeing in our lives. Now, I'm not... What we have a tendency to do is we find, we'll find a checklist in Scripture and then, then we take that checklist and we start putting it on everyone else. Like, okay, let me see. You got this? Oh, no, you don't. I don't see this in you, you know, and then go through the checklist judging other people. Listen, Scripture's a mirror. And the New Testament writers talk about that. It's to be looked at for yourself. Find the beam in your eye before you start talking to the speck in someone else's eye. Jesus said, it doesn't mean that you're, you're not going to be able to t- speak to anything. There's a place for that. But we need to start with ourselves. We need to look at the Word with it as a mirror showing us where we need to change, how we need to change. So we see three things here that he mentions. He says, 
One is the faith in Jesus. So he says here, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So obviously faith is vital. And we need to be making sure in ourselves that we have a genuine faith in God. A believing in Jesus Christ and who God says he is and what he has done in our way to get back to God through him. So a faith in Jesus. The other thing he mentions here is love for all the saints. This is for us to be looking at ourselves and asking ourselves, do I have love for my brothers and sisters in Christ? This is not talking about love for the world. This is saying love for all the saints. Saints, in your translation, it may say um, God's, God's people or God's holy people. It's very specific. It's talking about believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we should be asking and looking at ourselves, do I truly, genuinely love all the saints? Well, let's just, all right, let's break it down. Let's start smaller. Do I love the brothers and sisters or the believers in my own family? We'll start there. How am I doing with that? One of the things that has helped me tremendously in how I handle um, disagreements and arguments with my wife and things that we, you know, we may butt heads on. Yes, it happens. Don't act like it doesn't happen to you. So one of the things that helps me is to remember that this is not only my wife, but this is God's daughter and my sister in Christ. I need to treat her as Scripture has commanded me to treat her and love her, as it's saying here, love for all the saints. But we need to be able to get beyond just our family. Let's look at our family of God, the the church body in which he has placed us. How are we doing with loving those saints? I see, sometimes I see way too much judgment rather than love. Listen, when it comes to God's love, he, he, he really is focused on loving each other and the love of God towards his people and how he wants us to love one another. And we, we have to realize the emphasis that we see on this in, in Scripture, especially Jesus' words so often come back to this. So how are we doing with loving one another? You know, it, there is so much room for improvement here, in my opinion. I'm talking to myself, including myself. There's so much room for improvement with this that the last thing we need to be thinking about is judging other people, judging brothers and sisters. Are they meeting my list that that I say is this is what you need to look like. Listen, we've got way too much work we need to be doing on number one, looking in the mirror, and number two, loving one another. It is so discouraging 
when we become judges among one another. Self-righteous judges. Look, there's a place for judging. And Paul makes it clear that we are, when it's needed, we need to judge in our church. The the elders are not going to simply allow um, something to take place in our church that is blatant sin when it's someone who's saying they're a believer. So there are times when that's going to happen. But for the most part, we need to let we need to kind of lay that self-appointed role of being the judge down and we need to love one another and encourage one another. The other thing it has here is bearing fruit and increasing. Now here's the thing about this. We we have this tendency to Think of it as, okay, someone who's to be in the church with us, to be a brother and sister in Christ, is to be, um, to be saved. And that line of demarcation, that point of salvation, when they cross over that line, they are now to be this perfect person. Now, we chuckle at this. We do. But I'm telling you, I see it. It happens. I've been guilty of this myself. I will say that. And we have this expectation that this believer now should look like Christ. This believer now should have all of this fruit just falling off of them. And and we completely forget about the fact that, well, first of all, let's not look at salvation like this, okay? Let's look at salvation like this. It's this road that we're on that we need to stay on all the way to the end. And along that road, along that path, there is going to be a progression, a progression of fruitfulness. But on the beginning, in the beginning of that path, listen, we're not going to be bearing a whole lot of fruit or the fruit's going to look a little different, but we've got to have grace for that. We've got to stop getting out our checklist and making sure that this person ticks all the boxes. Listen, he's on a path just like you're on a path. We need to stay on that path. We need to encourage one another to to be on that path. When we get off that path, we encourage one another to get back on that path and allow God to continue working in you to bear more fruit and for that fruit to then increase. But it is a process. So can we please... Can we please have some grace and mercy for one another and not expect everyone to be perfect as soon as they say, I'm a Christian or I've been saved? We need each other to encourage one another. It breaks my heart when when someone comes here who I know it's clear they need a body, a family of God around them. Because they're not perfect. You know, oftentimes they've had a rotten, terrible, horrible life. Much worse than us. And then we just go off judging and looking at our checklists. It's terrible. We need to come alongside these people and encourage them. And build them up. And help them. 
There's going to be times, yes, where you have to say hard things, but we do that in love and with them knowing that we're doing this with you. We're in this with you because you are a brother, a sister. We are family, and that's what family does. We, we stick together. We trust one another. And that's, where, that's the way that we need to be, and we need to get better at that. And then we start to see this progression of fruit in that person's life. But if we're, if we're walking around with our checklist when people come into this church, and they say they're a Christian, and then we're like, mm, you think so, huh? Well, listen, I don't blame them for leaving. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to stay here. Y'all still with me this morning? It's getting kind of hard. All right, let's keep moving. Um, Let's look at verse 7 through 8. It says here, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You see, we see here that Epaphras, was the, they refer to him as a faithful minister of Christ. And what's interesting, what it says here is it says, on your behalf. So Paul's writing to the believers in Colossae, the Colossians, and he's saying that Epaphras, a faithful minister of Christ, on your behalf. I think that's interesting wording. Now, some translations also use the word our behalf, and it can be translated either way. But many of the translations use on your behalf. And I think this is beautiful because I think that the, the, the shepherds and ministers that God has put into a fellowship, they, I want you to understand that Phil, myself, the elders and ministry leaders, we're not just doing this for Christ. We're doing this for you. And so when, when we are being faithful to serve you for Christ, we are also, also serving Christ for you. I know that kind of, what's the difference there? So let me give you an example. When, when, when we're up here, you know, uh, teaching, for example, we are serving Christ for you and giving you bread. But also, when, when you tell us of the, the family member you just lost or the, the difficult time that you're going through right now or the sin that you've found yourself ensnared in, when you... Share that with us. We now go to the Lord on your behalf. We're going to the Lord for you, our brothers and sisters. And you've, most of you have been in this place where you've shared something with your pastor. I've been in this place where I have shared something with Phil. And nothing encourages me more than when he sends me a message back or a follow-up later just to let me know, hey, man, I'm praying for you. I'm going to the Lord on your behalf. 
I love it. It just, it just encourages me. So I want you to know that we're not only being faithful to Christ and serving Him, but we're, we're being faithful to you in, in serving you before Christ. And that's what it's saying here. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. That last thing there, love in the Spirit. He made known their love in the Spirit. Now, I can get real excited about this. I'm checking the clock. This right here is a sure sign of someone who has been in the presence of God. When you encounter God's Spirit in a real and tangible way, this fruit right here, love for others, will just start oozing out of you. So when Paul is referring to Epaphras, telling him and sharing with him about their love in the Spirit. This is what he's talking about. They had been in God's presence. They had been in His Spirit, in the presence of God, and now love was coming forth from them. Look, this is, this is real, and it resonates me so, so much. I'll, I'll tell you just... A little story of my past, back when I was about 13, 14, I went to youth camp, and I had already become a, a, a Christian in the typical way my father had shared with me very specifically what, um, what that's about. He had always shared with me, but he wanted to be very specific and give me the way to do that on my own if I wanted to. So he, remember those little book, book of John's, a little red little tiny little said book of John and it just had several things, probably John three sixteen all throughout. But he he shared with me that and told me what I needed to do if I was ready to make that decision. And so I, I had made that decision. Anyway, that was back when I was like nine or ten. And it was it was great. It was wonderful. And um, at the time that I did it, this is another little detail, I was on a plane, 30,000 feet in the air. I was young, like 9 or 10, but I was, you know, they used to do chaperones, you know, and I was being chaperoned from visiting with my dad to going back home. And I, we hit this thunderstorm, and I'm like, you know, 9 or 10 years old, on a plane, kind of by myself, in a thunderstorm. I was very scared. And it was a, it was a great time because I actually prayed and asked the Lord to save me. I, uh, I told him I was a sinner and I needed him. I needed a savior and, and that kind of thing. And, and I actually did experience a peace that came over me in the air during that thunderstorm. That was, that was awesome. And I'll never forget that. But from the age of nine or 10 years old to about when I was 13, 14 years old, I had hit puberty and I began to realize that to walk righteously and in purity was not that easy. And, you know, my parents had already divorced, and um, so it was hard for me. Uh, and I had found myself 
um, dealing and struggling with sins that uh, I wasn't equipped for, but felt really um, bad about, but didn't know how to, to change that. So I went to this youth camp, and the youth camp speaker had been speaking the week, the whole week, on the Holy Spirit. And I was listening to this, and I'm like, this, this sounds like what I need, what I'm lacking. Because I had realized that I do have a desire to live rightly. I just don't have the ability and power to do so. And he's talking about the power that I'm lacking. And I'm hearing this, and my faith is rising in me that I need that. I need that. I need that. And so the last night at the youth camp, and that's, you know, typical. Listen, don't ever discount. Young people, do not ever discount your, your summer camp, camp experiences, your youth retreat experiences. Never, ever do that because they changed my life, and it was real. So on this last message, I hear, I'm like, I want that. And when he invited people to come and for them to pray to receive the Holy Spirit. I came forward and I knelt down on my knees. 13, 14 years old, I'm just in that kind of, I want to be cool phase, but I, don't, I didn't care. I went up, got on my knees, and they began to pray for me, laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I became a blubbering mess. And the reason I became a blubbering mess is because Something fell on me that just created an outflow of emotion in me that I can't explain. But it was a, it was a real uh, tangible, like the rain, just like a, just kind of just came down on me. And here I am, 13, 14 years old, just blubbering because I just was being filled up with what I understand now, and of course knew at that time that this must be the presence of God. Now, that just blows me away to think about God wants to give. Jesus describes him. He says that if you, good, if you fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask. He wants to give this good gift. I don't care where you are in life, what prayers you you have. It doesn't matter. He wants to give more of his presence into you and into your life because that's what changes us from within. And so I went from this kind of this getting to be rebellious, 13, 14-year-old, getting to, you know, I really only cared about girls and being cooled and all of that, to all of a sudden, God just took this heart that was starting to become hard and stony, and he just took it right out, and he put this heart of flesh inside me. And I mean, I got up from that night, and everything looked different to me. <laughs> It's because I, it's so long ago and I was so young, but it was so real. How, do I ch- how is it I changed so quickly? I didn't understand it. That, this is incredible. 
I would look out, I was at youth camp, this was an open, could just have a cover. It wasn't inside of a building, just a cover, and we sat on benches and stuff. And I remember walking out, it was dark. Just even the trees looked beautiful to me. The creation looked beautiful to me. I remember walking a little ways in this... <laughs> This dog came up. This was the most pathetic looking dog I've ever seen. He looked like, I mean, he literally, truly, he was skin and bones. Like he was just a, a, a stray stuck out in the, the woods and looking for scraps. He was skin and bones. And he came up to me. <laughs> Guys, my heart broke for this dog. <laughs> and so what I'm saying is God wants your heart to break for people, but he loves dogs too. But what I'm saying is my heart was just so soft and love was just wanting to pour out of me. And I just wanted to scoop this dog up and love on him and care for him. But it wasn't just the dog. I just had this love for, for everyone. And it just it was just so strange to me that it changed so quickly. And, you know, I was not the same at the camp, but when I left and went home, my mom knew I, something had happened. I was not the same. That doesn't mean I was perfect, but I was not the same. And I had this incredible desire and hunger for God. And when we got back, we, we found a church. We had not been going to a church. We found a church. I found a youth group to get plugged into. I was so hungry for God. And I, and I, I would like to be able to say, now that was, that was what the rest of my life looked like. <laughs> no, it's not. I wish I could say that. But there were so many ups and downs, so many trials, so many sins and mistakes that I made. But listen, that experience and that encounter with the Spirit of God anchored my faith for the rest of my life. To this day, I could never deny the reality of God and the reality of His presence in this world and the fact that He wants to not only be with you, but pour into you to indwell you with his very being. Uh, I could never deny that. And, and there's been multiple times in my life that have been pivotal, pivotal moments where God changed the direction of my life because I... I knew I was off track, and I got on my knees before him and pleaded for help, and he would pour his spirit on me again. Now, he didn't—you can't rely on that always because he wants you to grow up. He wanted me to grow up and learn how to walk in discipline and walk in faithfulness with him. He can't just fix it every time by giving you this supernatural power, but— can I say that when we start doing our part and when we start living as a disciple who is under discipline and doing what we should be doing, then there becomes this beautiful relationship that Paul refers to as walking in step with the Spirit. Walking in step with the Spirit so that every day, 
Your life is, is a day of adventure because you're walking in step with the Spirit. Jesus is leading you, and you are in Him, and He is in you through His Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And you're walking on this path, and He is guiding you and leading you. And when you get to that place where you're, you're consistently doing that, and, and you're being you're making those wise decisions and being disciplined about it, then you become so familiar with walking in step with His Spirit that when you get out of step, when you go off track your own way, you know it. Something's wrong. Something has happened. I am not in step with the Spirit. I need to stop and figure out where did I get off track. But, but there's this beauty of, of being able to know when, when you've grieved the Spirit or when you've gotten off track. And it's a beautiful thing. And that's what we're to be about. That's how we are to live this life. That's how we're to be the body of Christ here on this earth, walking with the Spirit guiding us, showing us what to do leading us to the, to the next task, letting us know when we've gotten off track. And if you get off track, that's okay. Get back on track. So when he says this, that Epaphras has made known to us your love in the Spirit, This is what he's talking about. These people had been in the presence of God. And there's not only a unity in the Spirit among them, but there's love for one another. And that is how we're to be described as well. Well, let's go on to um, verses 9 and 10. It says, And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Man, that's, that's, that's just a meaty passage right there. And I think this is a great example of how we should be praying for one another. I've, I've come to a place that I, I've realized I don't think it's healthy for us to pray in such a way to, um, for lack of a better word, to, to, to try to control people. Like, God, change my wife. Would you just show her the way she's supposed to be towards me? God, would you just... Or, God, would you change my husband? Would you just make him start doing this, 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 and this? And often we get into that place of praying in that way. And I just, I've come to this place that I've decided that, you know what? That looks a lot like witchcraft. Witchcraft is all about controlling people. There's spells, there's incantations, there's this and that. Um, 
voodoo is about, you know, doing things that, that cause this. It's, it, so there's, there's this fine line that I feel like we need to be careful about how we pray and stop trying to get our way through our prayers. That's manipulation. That's using God to manipulate people. Look, God, God is so adamantly free will is so important to him that he's not going to answer your prayers to control someone against their will. So I think this is a beautiful way, a glimpse of praying, how to pray for other believers. It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of, of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Look, look what better way to pray for someone than, than say, God, would you reveal your will to him? Give him more knowledge and understanding about who you are and, and, and what your ways are and, and how you want him to live. You don't need to give God the checklist of, he, would you please make him do this and this and stop doing this, 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 and this. And start saying, God, would you open up more knowledge to him? Would you pull back any blinders? Would you help him to understand your will for him? Give him more, Lord. Give him more. That's how we should be praying for one another and for other people, for other believers. So he also says, why do we do this? And it's in order to for us to for for believers to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so that we can be fully pleasing to him so that we can be bearing fruit in every good work and so that we can be increasing in the knowledge of God so that's pretty self-explanatory i think that's beautiful going on to verse 11 through 14 it says being strengthened, and I'm reading this out of the NIV this, this time because it's a little bit, it flows better. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So remember, he's, he's saying this is how they prayed for them, that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, he uh, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is just... So awesome. And so we, we should be praying for, for our brothers and sisters to have strength so that we can be patient and we can endure. There's going to be a lot of need for endurance. There has been and there will even more so for us to endure what's going to be happening in this world, what's going to be happening around us with patience and endurance. And so we need God's strength. We should be praying for each other to have God's strength. It also says here, um, uh, and so that we can face, uh, face these times with joy. That's, that's great, too. He also, it also says here that 
our, our qualification is from God. He has qualified us to share in his inheritance. And we've talked about this in the past, about our righteousness is not our own. It's God's righteousness that he has given us. But he has qualified us, and it's not by works. And this is awesome when he says that he, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and, and the forgiveness of sins. That's awesome Moving on to these uh, last, last ones here. This real quick, I'm not going to belabor here, but this part now, and we're going to get into this a little more in the, in the other parts um, next week and the week after, but this, Paul is talking about the preeminence of Christ. What that means is basically the supremeness. He is above all other all other gods, all other powers, all other authorities, talking about the spiritual realm, that he is supreme. This is what this is talking about. And in some translations, you will see it written like a poem or a hymn. So it'll be structured on your page in such a way that it looks kind of like a song or a poem because they they think this this must have been uh, a very uh, classic or well-known poem or hymn in that day. And it talks about the preeminence of Christ, the supremeness of him, of having been, always been, and having always been with God, and that creation was created through him, and that he is divine, he is God. So this section right here, if you want to have some answers for when the Jehovah Witnesses come to your door, the, one of the biggest points you need to to, to tell them because it'll just it kind of shuts everything down is they do not believe that Jesus is God and so in their translation of the Bible in their version of the Bible in John one one when it says the word was uh, in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God their version says in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was a God little G that's what their that's how their Bible that's how they have translated that. So they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe that he's a created being, like Michael the archangel. And they actually believe that he is the same person. Jesus and, and Michael the archangel are the same. And they believe that he is not God. So just to, to kind of bring it to a close quickly, just tell them, hey, uh, I got one big problem. Jesus is God. He is God. And that pretty much stops it because... It's very clear in Scripture that he is. This is another glimpse of the fact that he is. And there's just no need for you to get into any kind of argument with them. Because this is what Paul is addressing in the church at Colossae, because there's some of this starting to eke into the church. There's some of these other religions that are starting to, people are bringing bits and pieces from these other religions into the Christian church. And some of it is that there are many gods. Jesus is a good person, but he's one of the many other gods. Let's look at these others too. Let's, let's talk about the wonderfulness of some of these others. And Paul is like, boom, no, this. And it's like, wow, the preeminence of Christ. This is incredible. So uh, I'll just leave it at that, but read this again and again. And, and so that we can really let that sink in about Christ being supreme above all. And then finally, and this is important for where we're going in Colossians and some of the things that Paul is going to point out. And finally, uh, 
verses 21 and 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, good, uh, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now listen, remember, I, we always, I've always mentioned to you about conditionals in the Bible, and we need to pay attention to those. And here's a very, very clear one. He says all of this, and he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That conditional, we remember this is written to believers, to the church. That conditional was written for us. So we should really pay attention. We can't take all of these, uh, these blessings of inheritance and disregard what God is telling us that there's a big if. And the if is, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So I don't need to elaborate on that. It's very clear in and of itself. And we should embrace those conditionals because that's God's word. And there's nothing that we need to um, be, be concerned about other than just make sure that we're meeting the conditionals. Make sure that we're in Christ. Make sure that we're remaining steadfast and stable in the faith. Like I said, it's a mirror that helps keep us on that path. All right, that was a lot. And I'm going to close it there. And we've got some great stuff to come in the weeks ahead. Father, thank you so much that we were able to get through these, um, this first chapter and see some of the incredible gems that are hidden uh, in this uh, book of Colossians. And we thank you for uh, these words of life that Paul has written that we can now apply to us as well. Very applicable uh, to us today. And God, help all that uh, was said here to uh, just sink in. All that is uh, from you and your word here to just take root and to spring up and to, to bring fruit in our lives. God, we love you. We thank you for your wonderful, sovereign care of us, of Phil, of us, and, and your, your continued teaching and, and love and care for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.